Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're going to be reviewing some of your favorite fan fictions and also writing some fan fiction of our own and uh, just talking fan fiction in general. If we've discussed it before on the show, it's been a long time, so we're looking forward to talking about fan fiction again. And uh, we do have a fan fiction expert here on the panel, Laura. She volunteered at MuggleNet Fan Fiction back in the day, and she saw it all. But first, we do have some sad news. Helen McCrory, who played Narcissa Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies, she died this past week at the age of 52 of cancer. She had been keeping this private, it seems. I don't think anybody knew about it publicly. Husband and actor Damien Lewis announced the news on Friday. So very shocking and very sad news. Obviously, her portrayal of Narcissa Malfoy was so, so good. And I mean, the way she pulled off Narcissa in movie eight was amazing. So yeah, really sad, she, right? It's yeah. really sad. She was originally tapped to pay, play Bellatrix uh, in Harry Potter yes. as well. Um, it, it just shows that the casting agents had their eye on her from, for some time. And, you know, her talent was very well recognized. And she uh, she was actually in a lot of things that other people may have seen her in uh, as well. And the reason why she didn't play Bellatrix is because she was pregnant at the time. Yeah. And that would have been just not in book canon at all for Bellatrix to have been pregnant around Harry's <laughs> year five. Funny how that all works out. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing her in Penny Dreadful, uh, which mm. was uh, a series yeah. on Showtime. Yes. I've heard very good things about that. And Peaky Blinders she was in. Yeah. And yeah. just she always would pop up in different shows that I would watch on Netflix, especially if they were from BBC and just an amazing actress. And it's just very sad. I know in our kind of text conversation, I mentioned it reminded me a lot of when Alan Rickman passed. I don't think a lot of people knew, uh, and it's certainly a private situation, but I don't think many people knew. And and so it just gave me a little bit of a flashback to, to when that happened uh, a couple of years yeah. ago. Very surprising and very sad. So rest in peace, Helen McCrory. We're thinking of Helen's family this weekend. Changing gears now, let's get to the main discussion today, fan fiction. Yeah. So I thought that we could speak about fan fiction generally to get started. I want to know if anyone here has ever read fan fiction of any kind, and it doesn't have to be Harry Potter. I... Never got into fan fiction. I was, of course, aware of it during the glory days of MuggleNet because we had this huge fan fiction section on the site. But I don't know why I never really got into it. I think I just had enough to work with in the uh, core series. That said, I have read a great YA novel following a fan fiction writer. The book is called Fangirl. It's by Rainbow Roll. And to tie this all together, the fan fiction written in the book in Fangirl, is actually inspired by Harry Potter. Rainbow is a huge Harry Potter fan. And 
not only that, Rainbow has published a couple installments of the fan fiction that the uh, character, the lead girl in Fangirl, writes. There's two books out now. I think there's at least one more coming. And as if that weren't enough, the fan fiction is a romance about gay wizards. So (laughs) Harry Potter fans have to check out Fangirl to start. Seriously, this book is amazing. The the male love interest is like a dreamboat. And I just absolutely (laughs) adored this book. So I wanted to read it when I I remember hearing about Fangirl when it came out. And I thought this is going to strike really close to home. Like it, it sounded like we'd be very intimately familiar with the types of things that the main character goes through. Yes, please read it. So good. That's that's my uh, closest relationship with fan fiction, though. Yeah, I think it counts. It's also super meta. It sounds like like, yeah, it's a YA novel about fanfic that also features fanfic <laughs> and gay cool. fanfic. So it's just. <laughs> Right up my alley. <laughs> what I think it's worth noting too, and Laura back me up on this, but a lot of the origins of fan fiction can be traced back to gay romantic pairings. Uh, part of the reason why we call it slash fic when we talk about um, two gay males, male characters, is because it goes back to Star Trek fan fiction. Kirk slash Spock is how they would be identified. Um, Kirk and Spock romantic fan fiction back in the 60s, early 70s. Yeah, I mean, we'll dive into this a little bit later in the discussion, but fan fiction is really a great opportunity for people to start flexing their writing skills in sort of like a familiar sandbox. Um, But Mm. it's also a way that people can process things that are going on in their life or feelings that they're having. So yeah, totally. So all of that said, I avoided fan fiction uh, for a very <laughs> long it. time. I'll tell you though, it's not because it was like, well, I'll, I'll t- there's two main reasons. And the first is actually on me. There was so much out there uh, as the books were coming out, even before the, the books wrapped. And I got a little worried that if I had really spent a lot of time reading fan fiction, I would confuse events in the book with events Mm. that I read in fan fiction. And I, you know, we had so many expectations going into Deathly Hallows that can you imagine if I was expecting things to pan out or conclude that weren't actually even in the books, but that I had read in like a really good fan fiction. So I I thought that there probably was pretty good fan fiction out there, uh, but I didn't want to get, I, I wanted to keep, you know, I had enough events to keep track of. And I didn't trust myself not to mix the worlds, I guess. Right. Especially when you're podcasting about Harry Potter, you don't want to confuse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you imagine if I'm just like defending, like I feel really good about defending an argument, but I'm using stuff that came from like the latest. <laughs> right. And we're all like, we don't remember that, but okay. <laughs> sure, Eric. Yeah. So, um, and then the other thing was, although I, I agree that there's some really good fan fiction, and we're actually going to be talking about really good fan fiction in this episode, I did find it difficult whenever I would try and get into uh, Harry Potter fan fiction to really read something that captured for me the same authorial voice that J.K. Rowling had. It's a very specific, non-specific voice that J.K.R. had that's like a very like mastery control of the world. And I felt that the narrative voice in a lot of these fan fictions fell short of what I was looking for. So I was also looking for a very specific thing that I didn't get. So so I I think that's a twofer. I wanted something that was as close to JKR's writing as I could get, but I also didn't want it 
to then confuse me because it was so close to Jake Harris writing. So it was a paradox. Right. And you're currently writing one, right? I am currently writing one. Yes, I'm uh, writing Several Sunlit Days, it's called. It's a Harry Ginny fan fiction that takes place predominantly over the three-week time period that disappears from Half-Blood Prince between when Harry and Ginny first kiss in the common room after the Quidditch match and the beginning of the next chapter where it says, the last three weeks have been amazing for Harry. I'm sure that's all <laughs> PG-rated, right? Um, Actually, it will be... A little bit not PG rated. Maybe PG-13, I think. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Micah, what about you? Have you ever read or written any fanfic? No, not until today, actually, have I written any fanfiction. But I will tell you, it was a lot (laughs) of fun and I'm looking forward to uh, reading it later. Along the lines of what Eric was saying, at least as it related to what MuggleNet had to offer, I was always reading the editorials. So... Part of what I was always looking for was a little bit more what might happen in future books as opposed to just kind of creating a totally different outcome. But I I guess if you kind of extend what the editorialists were doing in terms of theorizing, it is kind of fan fiction in a way. But uh, yeah, I, I just missed out on that. And I think looking back, it's almost like the fan made film conversation that we've had right right? you can just kind of start to go down a rabbit hole and really enjoy what some of these people have created because even in the one that i read for this episode it's 15 chapters long like i saw you you put all these in the document laura and i started reading i'm like oh this is a pretty short story and then i go to the drop down and i realize that it's 15 chapters i'm like wow somebody put a (laughs) lot of work and effort into this and i know they're just thousands of them that are out there. So I think definitely as I've gotten older, there's a there's more of an appreciation for being able to create something like that because it's certainly not easy. And I think as we've said many times, there are just so many talented people that are in this fan community. Well, I've definitely read a lot of fan fiction from being a, a moderator at MuggleNet Fan Fiction for a couple of years. Um, but also between the ages of about like 12 to 15, um, I wrote a couple of lengthy Harry Potter fanfics. Um, The first one I wrote was actually a Marauders era fanfiction. It was pretty long. Um, It covered Lily and James's and the other Marauders' first three years at Hogwarts. Um, And I was really hoping to delve into what were like the three times that Lily and James had um, defied defied Voldemort. Right. Um, and I also wrote pre book five, I wrote a book five fan fiction. Wow. <laughs> that was that was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but you know, I so <laughs> you guys are gonna laugh at me. And before anybody starts asking, these are lost. Like I've tried to find them. I can't <laughs> find them. Jewel hmm. has tried to find them. No, for real. I would happily share them because I think it would be a lot of fun to look back on that. I was a child when I wrote them, like, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But if Jewel can't find them, Jewel is like our resident, like, sleuth, right? She finds stuff for us all the time. If she can't find it, I just assume it's gone. But the one (laughs) thing that that sticks out very clearly to me about my book five fanfic was that there was a new student at Hogwarts, which is, like, a little bit of a trope. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. But she was she was actually she was actually Lily Potter, like reincarnated into a student, and she was like coming to help Harry. Um, oh. But you know, me being the creative thirteen-year-old uh, I was, her name was Lily. <laughs> Oh, that's a shock. Yeah. And Harry had this whole, he's like, wow, that was my mom's name. (laughs) (laughs) What a coincidence. I know. I know. I look back on that and I'm like, that that was pretty bad, but whatever. meant to be. (laughs) You know, Laura, now that you've said all this, I'm curious if I can go back and look on an old computer and see if I have some of the old server files from MuggleNet and can dig this up somewhere. Oh, do you have gosh. all of MuggleNet downloaded to an old computer? No, not all of it, but I probably have some files backed up somewhere. You saved Laura's fan yeah, fictions for this moment. Unfortunately, <laughs> and I could be wrong, I don't believe these were posted on MuggleNet fan fiction um, because I wrote them before I worked there. And I think mm. they were on like oh. HarryPotterFanFiction.net or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I've tried to find them. They're gone. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's a lot of fun to look back on. Um, And we're obviously going to be talking about a lot of really good Harry Potter fan fiction here in a few minutes. But I thought that I could share some of the uh, more common fan fiction tropes that I became familiar with as a fan fiction moderator. Um, Has anyone here heard of the Mary Sue slash Gary Stew? phenomenon mary sue yes gary stew (laughs) did you just make that up no um it was the equivalent term for a male character um but obviously mary sues were far more prevalent in the fan fiction world at least in harry potter (laughs) it's when the author inserts themselves in the story via a character that's like a barely disguised version of them right yeah and that character is perfect they're good looking they're good at everything they're clever they're witty they never do anything wrong and there's never any real threat of anything happening to that character because you can tell the writer is too afraid to let you know let the apple drop as it were Mm. right Mm. um Mm. so yeah super common thing in fan fiction and you could also look at some published works of fiction and probably see this phenomenon reflected there as well. Um, Something else I also saw really frequently, usually from American fan fiction writers, was the American foreign exchange student um, who like comes to Hogwarts and becomes like part of the trio. So they're no longer a trio and usually is uh, romantic with Harry. That's usually the way that one goes. There's also, (laughs) you know, Americans, they love the Brits. So I can see why they would want to get with Harry. Well, actually, they would want to get with any Hogwarts student because they're all British. Well, never mind. It it was always fun, too, because like the American foreign exchange student was like always really fun and different from all the (laughs) kids at Hogwarts. And it was usually a female student. And she, you know, dressed differently and somehow got her like portable cd player to work at hogwarts and oh, <laughs> <things yeah>. like <laughs> you defied the school's rules yeah, and there's logic. one thing about americans it's their portable cd players yeah <laughs> is, is that what sold that person to the trio was was this portable uh player that's yeah. what got them in with ron hermione and harry exactly oh, so modern <laughs> Hermione was like, I don't even have one of those. <laughs> and I'm muggle-born. Um, the, uh, one of the other really common tropes is, you know, 
pick your female character of choice, um, getting hot over the summer. <laughs> Blow up. It's usually usually Hermione, um, but it can also be any other principal female character. Um, she usually walks into the Great Hall Umbridge? and all the head all the heads turn. <laughs> Did you say Umbridge? Yeah. <laughs> hot and likable this she year. She went from toad to princess. Uh, wow. <laughs> that was really smart. <laughs> I love, I think it's worth pointing out too that hot is in all caps in the, in the yeah. documents. Like, wow, wow. Really hot. Was was this ever from the perspective of the character who had gotten hot and they were like struggling to deal with all the newfound attention? Because I would read that. Sometimes like it would flip to that character's point of view at times and they would be mm. just blissfully unaware as to what happened. Like they go through all these changes over the summer and they haven't noticed apparently. (laughs) Um, You don't know you're beautiful. To that point, Eric, sometimes a lot of those types of stories ended up being song fix, which I know Andrew is familiar with because Andrew and I were on fanatical fix together where we read a song fic. (laughs) That's right. About Avril Lavigne's girlfriend. And it was a whole (laughs) A whole thing where it was Hermione, Ginny, Luna, and a Mary Sue character who was clearly meant to stand in for the writer, um, all singing Avril Lavigne's Girlfriend and fighting over Harry. <laughs> well, Andrew also has his own hit single, Don't Let It Be July. Yes. And my <laughs> Wizard Rock single. I just looked that up. Uh, it was episode 63 of Fanatical Fix that you guys were on. I was on 68. Yeah. Definitely listen to that. It was so much fun. It's such a fun show. Another trope is the hot new female professor that Snape falls in love with. She like... What? <laughs> yeah. He, uh, she sort of like... Trying to think of the right way to phrase this that won't sound weird. Um, she breaks through his icy exterior. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The heat melts it off. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, those well, are just know, good for Snape. Yeah. You know, honestly, good for him being able to finally move on past Lily. Yeah, that would have been a refreshing change. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some, you know, honestly, I've definitely read some that were pretty good. So yeah, I mean, those are just some of the really common things that you might see in fan fiction. Obviously, if you see these things in a fan fiction, it doesn't automatically mean that fan fiction is bad. Um, These are just funny things, funny commonalities that you might see in Harry Potter fan fiction and really any kind of fan fiction. Yeah. Why did you decide to get involved with MuggleNet fan fiction, Laura? And how many years were you a part of it? I was a part of it for a couple of years. Um, I got involved with it because I was a really big fan of MuggleNet. Um, I stalked Who was the it? site. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I stalked the site all the time. I really wanted to work there. And when I saw they had um, applications for fan fiction moderators because they were getting ready to launch their own fan fiction site, I knew I had to apply. Um, this is my chance. Yeah, basically. And also because I had been a pretty dedicated fan fiction writer. So I was like, hell yeah, like I'm going to be good at this and, um, you know, put my skills to good use. I was also homeschooled at the time. So I was, you know, pretty bored um, right. <laughs> and I needed something to do. Um, so that's how I got involved there and def- did it for a couple of years before I ended up 
um, becoming more active on the main site, which was really a result of the show. And didn't you meet your BFF through MuggleNet Fanfiction? Best friend forever? I did, yeah, because she was also hired as a fanfiction moderator. And this was like, God, 17 years ago at this point, something like that. So I've literally known her and actually still in touch with a few of those fan fiction moderators. So these are people that I've known for half my life. That's so sweet. It's really cool. We all got together for the Half-Blood Prince release. Um, So it was like a whole group of fan fiction moderators. um, And we read the book together in one of our friends, like downstairs basement den type things. And Mm. there were certain things that pre Half-Blood Prince would have been considered non-canon. And, we were given the direction as fan fiction moderators not to approve things that were just total crap. Um, uh. <laughs> the, the problem with that, though, is that that's really subjective, right? Yeah. So, like, each moderator had a different interpretation of what that meant. And <laughs> I actually look back on that with a good deal of regret because I'm like, I hope that I didn't, you know, dissuade anyone from taking part in writing i don't remember anything Mm. that i like outright rejected and was like you can't have this here but there were definitely times where there was like serious canonical (laughs) um flouting going on and Mm. you had to push it back to the writer and be like hey you need to categorize this appropriately like if you're not gonna um stick to canon you need to like list it as an alternate universe type fic now i kind of think that's all pretty silly because it's like you know it's fan fiction do we really need to take it that seriously but that was the directive that we were given and we were all teenagers so right you know we were like i have the power (laughs) the other problem with that is that you guys could have turned down the next my immortal like maybe some of these were so bad they were good and they could have went viral right. and really gotten a lot of attention on Muggle Night fan fiction. I do remember though, there um was always a really common thing, and like we never rejected stories over it or anything like that, but we used to kind of roll our eyes about it amongst ourselves because a lot of fan fiction writers were using DADA instead of typing out Defense Against the Dark Arts. And that was not canon until book six came out and J.K. Rowling did it in the book. And we were all reading it together. And we were like, oh, no. <laughs> Before we continue discussing fan fiction, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. Taking care of your mental health is extremely important. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy in a way that's not daunting at all. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist right from wherever you're listening to MuggleCast and the service is available for clients worldwide. Log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to take a time-consuming trip to a therapist's office. 
I've been using their live text chat feature, and this lets you and your therapist see what each other is typing in real time. No waiting for one of you to hit the send button. No waiting for the other person to read and then digest the message. And we do this at a scheduled time every week, so we manage to have a speedy chat even though it's all being typed out. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So do something good for yourself by working with a mental health professional who can really help you achieve your goals. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for you. MuggleCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. Again, MuggleCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. All right, so I thought before we move on to pay homage to a few different uh, fanfics, we could talk about why fans choose to write fanfic in the first place. What do you think, Andrew? I think it's good practice for becoming a writer later in your life. If you're a budding writer, you might want to get started in the world of writing by writing about something that you're passionate about. And one reason I think about that is because when I started my own Harry Potter fan site, I wasn't writing fan fiction on it, but I decided to create a Harry Potter website because I was passionate about Harry Potter. I wanted to create a website. Well, what will my website be about? Well, how about something that I'm really into? So I think for writers, it's the same thing. You might want to start writing Harry Potter fan fiction if you're interested in becoming a writer later in your life because it's something you can write strong you can write authoritatively about because you know it so well. And so your best skills exactly. might come out. Yeah, yeah, like you're familiar with the bounds of the universe and you can really use that as a sandbox to experiment and try, you know, putting different concepts down on paper. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really helps um when you have characters that are mostly fleshed out already for you to play in that world, you you still get a sense of things like writing dialogue, um, you know, writing good dialogue, writing a captivated scene, uh, showing character motivation. A lot of this stuff, like it, it really still matters. And so delving into or using an existing IP, using an existing set of characters that the audience is familiar with as well also makes up for a lack of, um, you know, deep sort of character uh, fleshing out that that an author, like a new author, may not be particularly good at. Um, it's sort of a, a familiar face, a familiar person that you, you know, like you throw this tapestry on and have the characters do new things. It teaches you a lot about plotting. It teaches you a lot about, um, you know, developing a story, having an arc, and a lot of other very useful skills for writing without you having to worry about starting from scratch, creating a story that is ultimately like captivating, like building a whole new fantasy world. If fantasy is your thing, why not use an existing fantasy world that has rules that are clearly defined and then just kind of, you know, at least at the start, work on how your particular viewpoint is going to be different from that right yeah i think also um theorizing through fan fiction was a big part of why people were doing this especially before the books were all published um i know for me that was the case when i wrote my book five fanfic like i was really trying yeah. to suss out what i thought might come in the next book and it's just it's very similar to why you would have a harry potter podcast where you 
overly analyze the text and where you try to make predictions about what's to come, this is just another way to do that. Yeah. It, it also gives you the opportunity to tell the story the way you want. Like if you're really frustrated with something that happened in the series, you can change it and you can make it your own. And yeah. I really like what you said about theorizing because it kind of goes back to the point I made earlier that I was always the one who went over to the editorial section. I remember The Underground Lake with Brandon Ford. Like it was a great editorial series. I read it all the time just because it was theorizing about what was going to happen in future books. And mm -hmm. I couldn't get enough of it. And I feel like fan fiction in a way is, is kind of an extension of that. Um, but one question I did have was, and, and I kind of felt even more strongly about this question because of the answers that we all gave at the top as to whether we really read or wrote any fan fiction early on. Laura, is there some kind of stigma that's attached to fan fiction? Because the three guys on the panel said, no, never really wrote it or read it, but you were, you know, obviously super immersed in in the fan fiction community. Yeah, there definitely can be. Um, actually, do you guys remember? I don't remember the name of that show, um, but they prank called. I think Andrew, it was you at like the very beginning of this show when we were all teenagers. Nobody likes onions. Yeah. And I remember going back and listening to the episode where they covered doing that and they played a clip from our show and it was me talking about being a fan fiction moderator. Oh. And like they didn't say anything like really, really mean, but like they were just Are so you sure yeah. they were real you know what? Yeah, but they they were also just like, oh, ho, ho, this girl moderates the fan fiction, you know, and, and I just kind of rolled my eyes at that. Um, but there can also be a stigma in terms of um, people thinking like, if you want to be a writer, why don't you write your own thing? Like, why are you writing somebody else's uh, story? And I just call on that because I think that fan fiction is a safe space for people to experiment. And yeah. I think that probably the stigma has become less over time because Agreed. it is cooler to be a nerd now than it was exactly 20 years ago. Well, not only that, but there's a lot of commercial potential for yeah. fan fiction. Fifty Shades of Grey began as a Twilight fan fiction right. and was loosely changed. Uh, to not be set in that world, so it's very popular and it's very mainstream. And look, that got a that got a movie trilogy out of it for crying mm -hmm. out loud. So yep. there's a lot of potential as um, studios are unwilling to fully divest from um, existing IP. They're looking into like these alternate universe takes and things for some of their reboots, even. Yeah, um, and. Again, it really is, in a lot of ways, a tool that can serve for people to process things that are going on. Um, you can see this represented in some Harry Potter fanfic. I've seen one where the trio stops 9-11. Like, oh. it was so rant because they're like on one of the planes and they stop it from happening. And I mean, it... it <laughs> It reads kind of ridiculous but on the other hand it's like you don't know what that author's going through maybe they lost somebody and maybe harry potter was a safe space for them to right. process the grief so like i'm not oh, gonna that's fair. yeah i'm not gonna you know crap on somebody for that 
Um, I've also seen, I think somebody mentioned a McGonagall and giant squid romance. <laughs> um, I believe this is one that I actually rejected from MuggleNet fan fiction because it got, <laughs> because. So, so if we've heard of it and heard about it, it's because of the grace of someone else that posted it. Well, Laura's brought it up over the years. I have, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and it got, first of all, I mean, the giant squid, but secondly, it got kind of racy. And I was like, yeah, no, this is not going to go on the website. This makes me very comfortable to talk about McGonagall a little bit later on in the uh, episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think that there's a more serious fic that you're going to be reviewing, Micah. Um, One that actually I learned about from a friend of the show, Pablo, (laughs) was one called Harry Potter Becomes a Communist. And Hmm. this one is representative of... um, satirical fan fiction so there is a lot of that out there as well and this one's just funny to read like there's this one point in the first chapter where Hermione says in like a hushed voice she's like Harry are you a communist and (laughs) Harry said she looked scared and he observed that it's because she was probably afraid of losing her private property <laughs> so I mean, there's there's just a lot of stuff out there where people are just having fun, and that's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, but I thought that we could pay homage to a classic, uh, pretty much universally regarded bad fan fiction. Um, but <laughs> people have had so much fun with it over the years that it has kind Mm. of become sort of like a a staple, um, common topic of discussion in the fan fiction world. And of course, we're talking about My Immortal. So to give you a quick summary, My Immortal is a Harry Potter-based fan fiction serially published on fanfiction.net between 2006 and 2007. Though notable for its convoluted narrative and constant digressions, the story largely centers on a non-canonical female vampire character named Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way and her relationships with the characters of the Harry Potter series particularly her romantic relationship with Draco Malfoy, culminating in her traveling back in time to defeat the main antagonist of the series, Lord Voldemort. Mm. So that's a lot. But what's interesting about this is for a long time, nobody knew who the author was. A few years ago, somebody claimed to be the author, but that has since been disputed. So who the author is is still kind of in question, the person who claimed to be the author says that this was intended to be satire. <laughs> so it, it's one of these oh, things. You all think it, it's wasn't. Bad? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. It was supposed to be bad. Yeah. Well, also, My Immortal is an Evanescence song. So <laughs> it's a very emo- it's a it's a hot topic Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah, for sure. So it's very long. I think right. It is. You can read a plot summary of my immortal on wikipedia and if you read this thing i mean i would read a paragraph of this but it's too graphic for it is most of our audience it really but is. i will just read one line draco invites ebony to a good charlotte concert in hogsmeade <laughs> wow i'll just leave it there oh man. it's it was interesting when you were reading the description laura because it sounds like some of this may inspired Cursed Child. No, stop it. <laughs> yes, 100%. No, no, yeah. no. 
I buy it. I don't recall any good Charlotte concert happening in Cursed Child. Yeah, but, you know, people did travel back in time to defeat Voldemort in Cursed Child. True. Well, My Immortal did it first, and you just wait till Cursed Child 2 comes out, Andrew. You'll be surprised. The producer did hint they wanted to do more. It won't happen, but <laughs> they were like, fans want more of this. I'm like, really? They want no. parts three and four? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, we asked uh, all of you, our listeners, to suggest some of your favorite fanfics for us to read and review on this week's show. Um, we got so many great submissions, and we're not going to be able to cover all of them, but we each did pick a story to really dig into over the course of the last week and discuss on today's episode. Um, so I'm going to kick us off with The Very Secret Diary by Arabella. This is Ginny's first year at Hogwarts via her diary entries into Tom Riddle's diary. Ooh. Super interesting stream of consciousness showing Ginny and Tom Riddle writing back and forth to each other, starting in the summer when Ginny gets home and finds the diary lodged in one of her spell books after Lucius put it there. Um, and it's so interesting to see these events from Ginny's point of view. And Eric, I think you'll appreciate this. It really provides a lot more depth to Ginny's character, I feel. And it also made me consider just generally what the experience is like for a young girl who feels pretty isolated being the youngest and the only girl in her family um, and having brothers who pick on her all the time, you know, how that person would be particularly susceptible to being groomed by somebody with nefarious intent. When I found out that you were reading this for this episode, I, I really wanted to know if coming out of it, you know, it really changed or, or modified sort of your perspective on Ginny as a character. Yeah, definitely. Um, I cool. haven't even finished this fiction, this fic yet, because it is very long. Mm -hmm. um, I can say the first 12 chapters of it take place during the summer before Ginny even gets to Hogwarts. Yeah. Which I was like, this makes total sense because we remember I went back and reread those parts of Chamber of Secrets. And it's like, yeah, we didn't see Jenny for a lot of that time because she was locked up in her room because Harry was there and she just didn't know <laughs> what to say or do in front of him. So she just hid most of the summer. So presumably you can assume that she was writing in that diary a lot right. of the time that she was off screen. Um and it really just drives home how disturbing this dynamic was for an older man to be using Jenny to get information. He feigns interest in her life so that he can find out where she'll be taking the diary, which is to Hogwarts, of course, and who she's going to be able to get close to there. Um, he really digs in on her crush on Harry to just ask her questions about him and ask her, like, which faculty members are there? Like, oh, Dumbledore's headmaster now. Oh, that's very interesting. You know, so he's <laughs> he's really using her to be his eyes and ears. And the author did a really good job of, I think, adopting the tone of Tom Riddle, but also showing him getting progressively stronger the more that Ginny, 
feeds into the questions that he's asking her. Um, And he makes it very clear, like if she closes the diary and leaves it for a few days, that it makes him weaker if she hasn't been interacting with him. And he sort of like chides her for that and makes her feel bad for doing it so that she'll come back more. Um, So yeah, I really have been enjoying reading this and I'm going to look forward to finishing it. Nice. So what'd you read, Eric? Well, I uh, read and was priorly familiar with this long fan fiction called The Debt of Time. It is over 700,000 words long, which is uh, 28 times more long than My Immortal. Uh, (laughs) And it's split into four so-called books. It follows Hermione... As she is completing, so it's the seventh year, basically starts after Dumbledore's uh, death and replaces the seventh year at Hogwarts. But then also Hermione is sent back to Marauder's era and in fact goes to school and grows up with the Marauders alongside her. Um, There's like a lot of plot uh stuff that is happening that makes all of this possible but it's actually really well regarded for you know how intensely long it is and it really just is i think a testament to fan fiction as an art form there is a lot that this fanfic does very well um and so it's very well regarded it also has its own podcast. I mean, how many oh. fan fictions do you know that can launch their own podcast? I didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah, there's two fans, one who's read it before and one who hasn't. A, a classic podcast format um, are actually about halfway through right now. There's 72 episodes of this podcast, Fire, Whiskey, and Honey. But so I Ooh, have... Um, that sounds like a I've great combination, by the way. I need to try that. Uh, yeah, we did. I'm surprised we didn't have that at the Hogshead, Micah. When we were down there well, in Orlando, put it on the uh, yeah. agenda for next time. So it replaces the uh, it replaces their seventh year at Hogwarts. Hermione is able to recall Sirius Black from the Vale in the Department of Ooh. Mysteries. This Ooh. is possibly the biggest, cool, most exciting thing for me <laughs> as a longtime Sirius Black fan. And it's right. she does this because uh, she's able to utilize the power of a life debt, and it's because when when Hermione and Harry saved Sirius back in Prisoner of Azkaban that that created a debt, just like Harry and Pettigrew's sort of debt that involved him sparing Pettigrew. Exactly the same thing. But Hermione is able to use this magic to bring Sirius back to the present. And then it's a year later after the downfall of Voldemort happens. I'm skipping way ahead. But on her 19th birthday, Sirius and Remus are acting really, really shady and they give her a time turner. And she is, I guess, inexplicably transported back to the 70s, like I said. She's 17, finds herself at Hogwarts in the early 70s. And she contacts Dumbledore, who then decides to de-age her because her time turner is broken. She can't get back. So she's de-aged to being a first-year student the same year that the Marauders arrive at Hogwarts. And for her protection, she is adopted into a well-known pure-blood family that Dumbledore can trust to, like, keep Hermione safe and also keep her secret safe. And that family is the Potters. So oh. she's basically a, the adopted sibling of James. And, you know, if I have to 
if, if, talking about it, I, I worry that some people might think this is as much of a fan service or like uh, Mary Sue type moment. Like, wouldn't you like to go to school with the Marauders? But it's it's done really well, and Hermione is still flawed. I think that's a very important thing. I mentioned this yeah. last week, but like Hermione in Dead of Time still hates broomsticks. So she's still like, it's not like she's all of a sudden good at everything. While the fact that she retains her memories from Hogwarts and keeps all the spells and everything that she knows, she it's not like she's super good in class. She actually has decided because she had sort of a hard go of things in the original Hogwarts timeline, she's able to relax a little bit. And, and you know, when she pals around with the Marauders, she's able to kind of let loose a bit more and really become who she was truly meant to be. I mean, nice. any, any, I would encourage anyone to read more about this fan fiction. It's, it's really honestly very good. And the length scares and impresses me. <laughs> Does she become an Animagus? You said she hangs with the uh, uh, Marauders. Yeah, spoilers. Oh, but that sorry. might be a thing. I like this because it helps fans who may feel burned by the whole Veil situation. You know, it's nice to see that Hermione was actually able to do something with the Veil yeah. after the events of Order of the Phoenix, unlike yeah. J.K. Rowling. So that element alone is intriguing to me. Micah, what did you read? So I decided to read In the Light of the Stars by Little O-Bird or Little Zero Bird. Not sure which one. So I want to make sure I cover my bases. And it's a very deep fan fiction. And the reason why I say that is because it's all about Minerva McGonagall's life and adventures during World War II and right after she leaves Hogwarts. And it follows the death of her fiance. So we learned that McGonagall was engaged to a man named Alistair. And this really prompts her to head to what inevitably becomes the front lines of the war. And this was published back in 2010. So I think it's kind of an interesting piece to read as we learn more about the Fantastic Beast series and its connection to World War II. I think- right where McGonagall is in her life in this fan fiction is a little bit more canonical than the Fantastic Beast series because obviously the Fantastic Beast series makes her a professor and mm. in this story she is just leaving Hogwarts and we're led to believe at the very opening of it that she is roommates at Hogwarts with Augusta Longbottom they have uh, <laughs> an interesting relationship. And her father, Angus McGonagall, is still in the picture. And he's very concerned. She's only 18 years old when this all starts. And I'll just say, I have not read all 15 chapters. But she's put in a very challenging position right off the bat. Because part of her initial task is to be cooped up with four men. So she is living alone with four other wizards and they all kind of have their own different story. And I think a lot of this ties back into historically what was going on in the world around the time of World War II. So there's a lot of strong political, racial, socioeconomic undertones to this. So I think it could be challenging initially for 
people to get into, but I think once you start to get into the story, it's a little bit easier to digest. So just using one example, there's a character named Jack who's Asian American, and he's talking a lot about what his family has gone through back in the United States as a result of internment camps. And and so Mm -hmm. Reggie is an African-American, Tony is Latino. So you're kind of getting this melting pot of individuals who are going through their own challenges. And Minerva, who again, is the only woman in this situation, and she actually has an encounter really early on with the fourth guy named Frank, who stumbles in drunk to her room and like plants a wet kiss on her neck, and you're not sure what's going to happen next, but it just shows you kind of the the vulnerability of being in that kind of a situation, and certainly why her father wouldn't want her, you know, at 18 years old, to be living with four grown men. So I, I'm kind of curious to see how this all plays itself out. Like what other characters <laughs> will come into play? Yeah, but, but I do think it's it's like a it's a testament to things that happened in history and, and and we're going to see some of those events play themselves out. But certainly with these characters, it's interesting that the writer felt strongly about bringing forth the actual experiences of certain groups of people during this time in history. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds interesting. And also McGonagall is just such an interesting character that we didn't get right. a lot of exposition on. And I love the idea that this is another example of a fic that kind of fills in the gaps. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just want to make sure too that I'm doing justice to what the writer has planned here. And and I think McGonagall is an extremely strong character. And that comes through even in the first couple of chapters and in, in her willingness to really take no nonsense and no BS from these guys that she's living with. So I read Remain Nameless by Hey Jude 19. Uh, Peace and love. That was <laughs> Peace and love. Peace and love. The summary that was written here, I don't know if Laura wrote this or she got this from somewhere else, but Draco's new habit of grabbing coffee with Hermione is giving him a reason to wake up in the morning. Ugh. So I read that. I read that little description. I was like, hmm, okay, this is interesting. This one is big. It's 51 chapters, 300,000 words. So wow. I have not read it all. I got through the first like seven or eight chapters, which gave me a a good sense of where the story was going to go. Draco is very broken after the events of Harry Potter, and he's looking for purpose. He's still haunted by what happens uh, during uh, the Harry Potter series. To kind of like get him out of his head, his own head, he goes to a coffee shop every day, and Hermione begins visiting the same coffee shop he goes to. And Initially, Draco's very put off by this. He's like, why is Hermione here? You know, there's there's no way we could ever get along. I don't want to see her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the two end up actually starting to sit down together every day. And they kind of turn into little coffee dates. And Draco learns that Hermione is actually single. So you immediately know where this is going. <laughs> Uh, he, she never got married to Ron, it seems. The fan fiction cuts deep because Draco is recovering from an addiction, actually. And again, because he's been grappling with what happened in the Harry Potter series. And there are many moments in which he's struggling to try and get past those uh, things that haunt him. He's actually seeing a therapist 
uh, during this fan fiction as well. The primary issue that Draco has with himself is that he he thinks and knows that he's a coward. When he starts talking with Hermione, he's very hesitant to get close to her because he feels so guilty mm-hmm. for what he and his family did to Hermione and people like her and what they did to Harry and Ron, too. It's a very good read. I'm very interested to see where it goes. I assume they get very close. I haven't hit the part yet where they start getting truly romantically involved, but they start to uh, like each other and get along with each other. And I just loved that this story was grounded in reality. I like that it takes place in a muggle coffee shop. Both of them go to this coffee shop to to escape the wizarding world, and they have their own reasons for doing that. And I think we said, a, a, you know, even just a couple of months ago that Draco and Hermione are actually kind of similar in that they are both very smart people. Yes. Right. So I think that that plays into the fan fiction as well. I love that. I love the idea of Draco sort of becoming more in tune with himself and realizing, yeah. you know, I need to put myself in a space that isn't one that I necessarily grew up in. Like, I need to learn how to empathize with other people. That's how this is sounding to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's also nice to read about a coffee shop, something I yeah. haven't been visiting over the Aww. past year. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go all the time. It's nice to go to a coffee shop and just be in a new space and work from there. So, <laughs> and to that was inevitably a, meet like, your Draco, right? And that's what you're going to be looking ooh. forward to. Yes, the I'm next looking time. for my Draco at Starbucks. <laughs> hey, baby, sit down with my venti. What do you think well, Draco yeah. orders? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's just a normal coffee, I think. No, I mean, like, I don't... forget about the fan fiction. What, what do you think Draco orders when he goes to Starbucks? Forget about the fan fiction. <laughs> I don't know, Micah. Write your I, own. I'm the person who goes to the coffee shop and orders a coffee. I don't order these complicated drinks, so oh, I couldn't boy. even tell you what these other ones are. You're just are. there for the ambiance, right? You're there to people watch. and people. Yeah, and actually, they people watch, too. Very relatable story. They also have a Starbucks card. I'm like, wow, so do I. <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that. How many stars do they have? Do they use the app on their phone? <laughs> Hermione redeemed all her stars this morning. <laughs> well, we definitely got a number of fic recommendations, and we're not going to be able to go through all of them today. But just to name some of the other submissions... Um, also wanted to plug Before I Knew by Keycon. Um, also, The Shoebox Project, which is a multimedia collaborative fic written by multiple authors. All the Young Dudes by Ms. King Bean 89. And Did You Hear the Rabbit Cry by Those Interrupted. These were um, some of the most commonly recommended fics. So we will link them in the show notes and definitely recommend you check them out. Amanda, who's listening live right now, says... Draco seems like a white mocha kind of guy. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I tracks. can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pause for a moment because we have a new sponsor here this week, and I'm excited to tell you about them because they offer Hogwarts-level classes for us muggles. Think, of course, like Dumbledore's army level and McGonagall-level classes, not Trelawney or Lockhart-level. That new sponsor is Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Since we talk about books here on the podcast, and I assume we have some budding writers out there, listen to who's on Masterclass waiting to teach you. 
Margaret Atwood teaches how to create compelling characters. Roxanne Gay teaches the business of writing and publishing. Salman Rushdie and Neil Gaiman teach storytelling and writing. And then there's R.L. Stein, the creator of Goosebumps, who teaches how to write for young audiences. And then there are tons of other courses waiting for you. Martin Scorsese teaches filmmaking. Carlos Santana teaches guitar. Penn and Teller teach magic. Robin Roberts teaches effective communication. Annie Leibovitz teaches photography, and there are so many other types of courses here too. Mixology, cooking, gardening, all taught by the experts. Right now, I'm in a masterclass on dog training with world-renowned dog trainer Brandon McMillan. These courses are friendly and fun and accessible to everyone. In the case of these dog training lessons, they're about 8 to 10 minutes per chapter, so very easy to get through. They pack a ton of info into these classes. This one's great for me because I've never trained my dog, but now I can finally learn the best ways from the comfort of my own home and with the best of the best teaching me. Masterclass is the perfect way to learn a new skill or bring your existing passion to the next level. I think all of us remember how good it felt to learn new things in school with our favorite teachers. Now you can have that experience again at Masterclass. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass, and as a MuggleCast listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash MuggleCast. That's masterclass.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off masterclass. To wrap this discussion up, I gave uh, Andrew, Micah, and Eric each a fanfiction prompt last week <laughs> and asked each of them to write a short uh, scene based on the prompt that I gave them. Mm. So, Andrew, it looks like you're up first here on the list. I'm going to ask you to describe the prompt that I gave you and then read your fanfic. So Laura said, hey, your fanfic prompt is to write a short piece about Albus and Scorbus crossing paths as adults in their work setting following the events of Cursed Child slash them being graduated from Hogwarts. You can make it a conversation, internal monologues, or really whatever you envision would happen if these two were to run into each other at the ministry or wherever as adults. I did not keep it to eight, eight to ten sentences, though, but it's still pretty short. <laughs> yeah. The eight to ten sentences is impossible, yeah, especially with the here. way I write. Same so, here. You're not alone. Okay, Andrew. mine. I titled mine after. Yeah. After what? <laughs> <laughs> Just setting the no, mood. No, no, no. <laughs> Should okay. I light my candle? Okay. <laughs> this is not as dirty as you might think it's going to be. Okay, I'm gonna try to get through this without laughing. It had been years since he had heard his name. Albus was walking through the main corridor of Britain's Ministry of Magic when a witch, not much older than he was, yelled, Scorpius! Albus looked over his shoulder. Flashbacks to his days at Hogwarts came as quick as his head turned. There he was, tall, blonde, as handsome as ever. Scorpius caught sight of his old friend, ignored the witch who had called for him, and beelined straight the potter. Albus, it's been so long, he said. Like a fine wine, age had been kind to the youngest Malfoy. His <laughs> jawline was sharp. His eyes were glowing. He was happy. Something inside Albus came to life. A feeling he hadn't experienced in a long time. It was a feeling last felt when he was dancing on Hogwarts staircases with Scorpius. The defunct duo exchanged a few pleasantries for a moment, but time was short. 
Want to pop into the hogshead after work? We can catch up properly, Scorpius hopefully blurted out. That would be amazing. Albus was realizing he didn't have many updates for Scorpius. Not much had changed in between Hogwarts and the couple years at the ministry. They hadn't seen each other since leaving school, and Albus, who had feelings for Scorpius all along, had hoped that time would help him get over lingering emotions. But there was no getting rid of them. They were entwined in his very being. Brill, said Scorpius. See you then. When parting ways, Scorpius hugged him for a second too long for there not to be something still there. He brushed his hair back and started counting the seconds until that evening's rendezvous. The end. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. Oh, this is, it's like a wow. meet cute. Yeah. Good job, So Andrew. this reveals a few things. I was thinking, like, what if, you know, J.K. Rowling published this and then we were to analyze it on, on the podcast? Mm. Well, we would be focusing on a few elements here. Albus and Scorpius didn't stay in touch after Hogwarts. You know, why not? We would be discussing that. Albus hadn't moved on from his feelings for Scorpius. That's a big deal. And Scorpius may still be interested in Albus. Now I'm projecting, of course. This is not how the cursed, you know, the 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 cursed child no homos the situation by the end of the play, which was very disappointing. But of course, this is the beauty of fan fiction. We can make up well our own headcanon. And you told me when you were writing that that you were having feelings. I was. I was <laughs> feeling a lot of emotions, and you know, I I saw the cursed child almost five years ago now and the fact that i could write this fan fiction and still feel these feelings i think speaks to how passionately i am about hashtag scorbus yeah (laughs) well it also speaks to you know the subtext that was there right yes the dancing on the hogwarts staircases (laughs) there was something there there was all right micah you're up what prompt did i give you yeah so you said hi there your fanfic prompt is to write a very short scene, eight to 10 sentences, about a conversation between Hagrid and Madame Maxime during their journeys to find the giants in book five. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. You just said that you were, you'd be interested in this story, right? Oh, of course. Feel free to lean into this being a conversation you could imagine them having had that we didn't necessarily hear about in the book. Could be Hagrid calling her out on lying about her lineage, the moment when they parted ways on the return journey, etc. Have fun with it. Keep the prompt to yourself for now. Okay, I don't need that. And I, I responded, how dirty do you want it to be? And we had a whole other conversation. So, <laughs> well, how dirty is it? You be the judge. And okay, okay. Do we need to put like a, a, no, a no, pr- no, 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 parental no. advisor? Okay. Not at all. <laughs> well, you be the judge. And also... I would just say, I don't have a title, so I'm interested to see if any of you have any suggestions after Big I'm done. All right. The journey hadn't been an easy one. Hagrid still had several cuts and bruises from their run-in with the trolls on the Polish border. Good thing Olympi was just as good with healing potions as she was with her wand. But even he could tell her patience was waning. As they sat waiting for the sun to set, Hagrid cursed himself for his actions the night before. Dumbledore had warned him. Olympi had protested to no end. The dangers of being seen in a public setting this far east of Paris. And would have all gone fine if not for that ruddy vampire. Hagrid should have known better than to engage anyone in conversation. The argument was one thing. But the information he shared. Hagrid always let things slip when he drank. 
to make matters worse, <laughs> just as they were about to leave the pub, that's when he flashed it. The mark. His mark. How could Hagrid be so foolish? They were definitely being followed now. The sun had now set fully. He and Olympi gathered their belongings, ready to move under the cover of darkness to their next destination. Hagrid, filled with both guilt and disappointment, was distracted as each of them chewed on the bones of the fresh kill from the night before. It had to be done. He had no choice. Olympi turned to Hagrid. That thing will travel no further with us. Hagrid nodded, turned around, and patted Fluffy on each of his heads, the smell of the vampire's flesh still hot on their breath. I, the so end. he brought Fluffy? The end, yes. <laughs> and fl looks like Fluffy saved them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So no, wow. no, I love it. I love like I was I was waiting. I was like, what it what is the reveal gonna be? Right. I was not expecting Fluffy. Right. I love I love yeah. it. <laughs> it could be called the dog. Mm. Or like three's a crowd. Uh companions. Three's a crowd. That's a, three's a crowd, because three headed and three oh. three mammals. <laughs> that's a good one. I like it. Oh, that's excellent. It's and also, um, you just did a really good job setting the scene there. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue, and just because I didn't, I don't know. I feel like writing both Hagrid and Maxime is tough because they both have very interesting ways of speaking and saying things. So, yeah, I just went more with like narration. But yeah, I knew from the beginning I wanted to include Fluffy. But I didn't know how I wanted to include <laughs> Fluffy. Um, oh. I, I took Laura's direction and I, I stayed away from making it, you know, R. I mean, I guess it's still kind of R-rated in a way. But yeah. Um, yeah, but not the kind of R-rated that bothers people. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, as I started reading more about their their travels, I was like, oh, you know what? The vampire, I can have Fluffy eat the vampire. But I will say, like. I kept coming back to it. Like I just wanted to keep adding more and writing more. I don't know, Andrew, mm -hmm. if you felt that way too, but yeah, it's just like from somebody who's never written fan fiction or really kind of dove into that area before you do kind of like get addicted to it a little bit. Uh huh. Definitely. Yeah. You're having fun with it. Yeah, for you sure. You want to keep going. Well, Eric, what was the prompt that I gave you? So you gave me an alternate universe prompt. Which is really interesting. You mentioned this is a type of fan fiction that exists out there. Here's the full uh, prompt. Hi there. Your prompt is to write an eight to 10 sentence, very short description of an AU setting where my chemical romance headlines the Yule Ball instead of the <laughs> weird sisters. <laughs> oh, so this is exciting because I obviously this is something that pretty much occurs in my immortal. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I did not reread to help me write this story, but I just went with it. Alternate universe, the Yule Ball is being headlined by MCR. Are you guys ready? I'm Heck so yeah. ready. Harry could not be looking forward to the evening any less than he was. For one thing, all the Triwizard champions were expected to be the first ones on the dance floor, the center of attention for all to see. Perhaps even more distressing was that the identity of the Yule Ball headliners had not been revealed to anyone. <laughs> Lee Jordan and the Weasley twins received no fewer than three detentions for trying to pry information out of Tri-Wizard officials and even Professor Binns. 
Harry thought they'd have had better luck if they tried Hagrid, but that was neither here nor there. When the lights dimmed for the mystery band to take the stage, Parvati Patil quickly grabbed Harry's hand and led him to where Fleur and Roger Davies, Cedric and Cho, and Hermione and Victor Crumb were standing already. Harry had no expectations as to who the mystery band could be. There were, after all, only about three wizarding musical groups that he had ever heard of. But much to Harry's surprise, in that moment, a familiar electric guitar riff started, <laughs> and the long, deep purple velvet curtains that had shielded the stage simply vanished into the air, and Harry recognized the song immediately as Honey, This Mirror Isn't Big Enough for the Two of Us from the album I Brought My Bullet, You Brought Me Your Love by none other than the New Jersey rock group My Chemical Romance or MCR. <laughs> okay, we're about halfway through. MCR was famous in the wizarding world because they, as muggles, discovered a rogue time-turner in a bathroom stall while playing Bowery Ballroom in New York City in 2003 and accidentally traveled back exactly 10 years from where their first album debuted. <laughs> Rather than let that slow them down, they simply began releasing their albums exactly 10 years before they were originally popular. An aggressive daily profit letter-writing campaign convinced the wizarding government to allow them to change the time stream, and thus, a muggle sensation in the wizarding world was born. Harry was surprised to find that Parvati was as big of an MCR fan as he was, which made dancing with her super fun and exciting. But the real biggest fan of MCR turned out to be Hagrid, who climbed onto the stage visibly intoxicated during the band's performance of The Best Day Ever and <laughs> dove headfirst into a terrified crowd of seventh years. Hermione, thinking quickly, had cast a levitation on charm on Hagrid right before his weight would have flattened <laughs> the students, leaving only Madame Maxime, with whom Harry had noticed he had previously been conversing, shocked and stunned at Hagrid's behavior. Hagrid was just getting to his feet as Madame Maxime finished gasping at the display he had just put all of his effort into and stormed off, evidently infuriated at his complete lack of self-control. The end. <laughs> I, Eric, I'm crying right now. <laughs> that was so good. Well done. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, so obviously oh, I tasked Eric with that because we've been trading these fun jabs about MCR and whether or not they would perform at all. <laughs> you know, honestly, the biggest setback was that they were a 2004 band and the books are set in like, the 90s. So oh, that was okay. the, the whole thing about the time turn. I was like, I have to justify this. I'm not going <laughs> to just write a random fiction where they're there. So anyway, the words just flew out of me. I mean, it was really a fun prompt. Thank you, Laura. And and thanks to Good. everyone. Oh, the my words gosh. flew out of me. Thank you for having fun with it. And see, I feel like that's a perfect example of satire, right? Like how fan fiction right. can really bridge into satire and being super meta and aware of like, yeah, there are these fan fiction tropes, but let's have fun with them anyway. So well done, all of you. Mm -hmm. You're all great writers. And thank you. Yeah. Now, Laura, would you have approved all of these fan fictions to be published on MuggleNet fan fiction? 100%. <laughs> there oh. we go. Easy approvals right here. Rubber stamp. Take that, giant squid. <laughs> fan fiction writer oh, well this was a lot of fun guys and i hope that um all of our listeners at home will check out some of the fan fictions we've recommended today and we would love to hear about some of your other favorite fanfics so please write into the show and let us know what they are 
Yeah, and check out the show notes. We'll include links to mm-hmm. at least the fan fictions that we spoke about today. Yes, including My Immortal. Now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question. What is the British television series from 2003, which was directed by David Yates and scored by Nicholas Hooper? The correct answer is State of Play. There were a couple of answers that said Girl in a Cafe, but that was a film. This was a TV series, uh, but it was directed by David Yates. Correct answers were submitted by Laura, Diana, Miss Ravenclaw, Booba Tooper Puss, Ellen, Pious Thickness, Savage Maggie, Roe Walton, Mrs. Moses, and more. I'm so glad Pious Thickness is playing Quidditch. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm glad that Quizzage, he is uh, still around and submitting Quizzitch entries via the MuckleCast.com website. We'll see if he enters again. Next week's question. Which member of the American rock band My Chemical Romance dropped out of college to join the band? <laughs> I love it. Totally a Harry Potter-related trivia question. Okay. <laughs> oh, I just love that MCR has become like a common staple on this show over the last few episodes. Has it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Laura. <laughs> I love MCR. <laughs> I think that's in your head. It's, it's come <laughs> up. We're talking about. It's come up a Has few it? times. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I say so. And submit your answers using the Quizich contact form on MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also call us 19203-MUGGLE. That's 19203684453. We actually have a Muggle Mail episode coming up next week, so get your feedback in about any of the recent episodes now. Couple other reminders. If you could take a moment to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to MuggleCast, we would really appreciate that. You can also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we would love if we had your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You can pledge a monthly amount and receive lots of benefits in return, including bonus MuggleCast. We release a new one every month. The ability to listen live as we record each week, our Facebook and Discord groups, and so much more. So check out patreon.com slash MuggleCast for all the details. And thank you to everybody who supports us there. We greatly appreciate it. And we also greatly appreciate your listenership. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.